Welcome to Sharing the Spectrum, an Autism Canada podcast, an engaging series of discussions about relevant topics, including parenting, relationships, employment, education, nutrition, and so much more. We look forward to introducing you to people from our ASD community and sharing their perspectives on life and autism. And now, please enjoy this episode of Sharing the Spectrum, an Autism Canada podcast. Today, I'm welcoming Blake Priddle to the podcast. Blake is an autistic advocate, works in radio broadcasting, and has recently published a book called Good Morning, Blake, Growing Up Autistic and Being Okay. Hey, Blake, it's great to have you here. Really happy to finally be chatting. Well, it's uh, great to be here, and thank you for having me. Um, I have read your book, and I loved it. There's so much to talk about that I'd really love to just jump in and get started. Um, I'm wondering if maybe you could just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, who you are, how old you were when you were diagnosed, and um, and we'll get started that way. Well, I was first diagnosed when I was in uh, kindergarten, when I was about uh, six, but uh, I didn't uh, know that I had autism until I was about nine. That's when my parents uh, disclosed that, but uh, I think even before that, I knew that I was different. I knew that I had uh, trouble socializing in ways uh, other kids uh, didn't seem to have a hard time with. Um, there were things that bothered me that didn't seem to bother other kids. So in a way, I knew I was uh, I was different. But needless to say, I think I've overcome a lot of challenges because now I'm working in radio, you know, which is uh, a very fast-paced uh, field and. Some say that a person with autism could never work on radio because it's very social and fast paced. Well, I've proved them wrong. This is one of the things that I love about your story is that you've overcome, um, you know, you had, you'd struggled with communication when you were young and you've overcome, I don't know if overcome is the right word, but you have um, faced so many challenges and, and look where you are now. I mean, I, I think that you had a community supporting you that was incredible you know, they say it takes a village. You've had such an incredible village with you through your journey. Um, I'd love to talk a bit about that, about maybe some of the challenges and how those people helped you along your journey as well. Well, certainly my mom made a lot of sacrifices and, you know, I'm very grateful for her for doing that. And she's still a fierce advocate to this day. But uh, when it comes to the work that my mom did, she really wanted to make sure that I got the appropriate accommodations that I needed in school. Sometimes they were refused. I will tell you that she did have to uh, fight hard to ensure that teachers would teach me in a way that I would learn the best. You know, for the most part, I had teachers that were you know, more than happy to accommodate me, but there was the occasional uh, teacher that wasn't uh, willing to do that. So that's when she really had to uh, fight hard and it worked. I think it's tricky as well because a lot of teachers aren't educated, you know, about autism and about um, some of the things that that kids on the spectrum need. So having your mom there to support you and educate the educators was also um, really impactful. A hundred percent. I totally agree. And certainly in the late 90s and early 2000s, people were just beginning to understand autism and we were just beginning to understand that it's a spectrum. Not everyone with autism is going to be like Rain Man or Temple Grandin. You've met one person with autism. You've met one person with autism. Your story really is a journey from sort of that understanding of autism to what we are now 
what people are now um, understanding about it. And it really, it really sort of shows the spectrum and it shows the differences in how people are, are managing and how people are accepting now versus then. It's, it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting take because it bridges that time gap to me. It really does. I mean, when I was going to school, people with autism were uh, starting to go into mainstream school. You know, prior to that, we were often put in separate classes. Um, the other thing that's changed is that uh, they used to try to prevent stimming, such as hand flapping and stuff. My parents have told me that if they could turn the clock back, they would allow me to, to stim as long as I wasn't hurting myself. Because you, you wouldn't tell a person with Parkinson's to stop shaking. So don't tell a person with autism not to stim. It's so interesting. You know, I was talking to somebody about similar things the other day and about accommodations. And they had said, you know, they were talking particularly about employment. And they said, you know, you let people leave early to go pick up their kids from school, but some businesses don't allow people to wear noise reducing headphones. But what's the difference? There's really no difference. You know, an accommodation is an accommodation. And so, yeah, it's interesting about the stimming because it's definitely become more accepted of late, I think, because of education, probably. Yeah, and wearing uh, noise-canceling headphones has become common for all children in noisy environments like hockey games or uh, monster truck rallies. You know, you see kids all <laughs> over the place wearing them now, so it's That's no right. big deal. That's right. That's a great example. <laughs> uh, there's so much that just is so common, and, you know, um, acceptance and education is so important to make sure that we have inclusivity because everyone has something that probably needs, you know, everyone could use an accommodation of some sort, regardless of who they are. So yeah, that's great. Um, I loved, um, I loved you talking about your teachers, particularly Mr. D. He sounds like he was a pretty special guy in your, in your development through school. Oh, Mr. D was just awesome. Absolutely. Uh, loved working with him. He was very funny. He, um, one, one thing that he used to do is he would always answer the school phone in a funny way. Like he might say city board or, you know, this is McDonald's. Can I take your order? You know, <laughs> things like that. And he was always there to put a smile on your face if you were having a bad day. And, you know, he just had a really good positive outlook uh, on life. And uh, he was, uh, he, he was very good at uh, providing the accommodations that we needed. And, uh, you know, didn't hesitate for a second to do whatever it took to uh, provide us the help that we needed. So more teachers need to be like him. I agree. I agree. I, one of the other things that I love about your book, and we're going to talk more about the book specifically, but one of the other things I love is all of the anecdotes from all of the people in your life, um, talking about their experiences with you. And I just, the perspective of it is fantastic. So um, really, really enjoyed that. Um, so what led to your interest in being on the radio? Well, it goes back to the start of my childhood. I used to listen to the radio every morning on the way to school or on the way to the babysitters. And I'd listen to them on the radio and I'm thinking, God, they sound like they're having a lot of fun. That sounds like it'd be a cool job. And uh, over time, you know, I, I kind of switched from wanting to be an actor and I still kind of do to wanting to be a news reporter, to wanting to be in radio. And I thought, you know, acting is hard to get into and uh, radio is also hard to get into, but it's easier to get into in comparison. So I thought if I go to school for radio broadcasting, I stand a better chance of having my own show. And, uh, and, and that's where my interest in radio kicked off. But I've always had an interest in radio uh, 
since my childhood. Um, and you definitely have a radio voice. Can we say that as well? You have a for great sure. voice for radio. <laughs> um, yes. And there's also the joke that goes that I have a great face for radio as well. Oh. That's, that, that's I think you have a great joke. face for whatever you want to do. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. And I mean, radio, you know, allows me to use my voice in a way that, you know, people can appreciate. Um, funny story, actually, you know, I'm only going to be 28 uh, next week, but uh, one person was really surprised to learn that I'm only in my 20s. They thought that I was an older man, like a, <laughs> because of your like voice? a Peter Mansbridge <laughs> kind of person doing the news. Oh, that's funny. That is funny. Well, happy uh, birthday in advance here. Thanks. Um, so I know you've worked at several radio stations. Um, what, what were sort of the barriers when you were looking for work with respect to, um, to getting your first job or were there any, and um, did you disclose your autism in advance of getting your jobs? Well, getting a radio job is uh, no easy feat. It's a very competitive market, and I had to submit literally hundreds of applications before I finally got uh, the first uh, the first hit. And when I did get my first hit in Yellowknife, I didn't disclose my autism until much later, and uh, people didn't think much of it. It wasn't a huge issue. But so when I got my second job in the Paw, you know, I disclosed right away but they were still more than happy to uh to keep me on and they've uh given me some amazing accommodations i don't need a lot but what i do need is uh two hours where nobody is allowed to come into the newsroom except me during crunch time unless it's a life or death emergency because i need to i need to concentrate right and uh and when i say life or death emergency you know, it could be you know a big news story of the day you know, something that could be changing history, right. not uh, not wanting to know what an event is, you know, two months from now, that's not an emergency. It's Got like it. I was always taught, you know, do, do not interrupt someone that's talking on the telephone unless it's an emergency. You know, going up to your mom and saying, mom, I can't find the remote. That's not an emergency. You know, Do you teach that to my son, please? <laughs> yeah, I had to learn that. I actually learned that from a manners video that my parents bought me when I was a kid. And uh, that's how I, that's how I learned. So it, it's, so that the, the, basically the same rules apply at the station, you know, do not interrupt me when I'm recording unless it's an emergency. I love it. Yeah. And I love that, um, that you're able to do that and that you have really um, worked throughout your life to get your dream job. Like that's just fantastic. And, and I think one of the things you were talking about the video, your parents bought for you, you have had so many interesting experiences through your life that have led to learning and growing. You know, you've done a lot of traveling, you've done a lot of camping and hiking, you've, you know, you were at school. And, and I know that um, the other thing I love about the book was, was how you shared a lot of those experiences and you're very vulnerable in sharing a lot of those experiences and how they've shaped you and how you learned from them. I would agree wholeheartedly yes and it was hard sometimes writing certain parts of the book you know having to relive at times painful memories but I'm like anyone I have my good days and my bad days but uh, at the same time also writing it writing those uh, painful memories was also therapeutic helped me to get a lot of uh, a lot of things off my chest actually that's really interesting and I do think you know 
I read when I as as I read through the book, I also saw how brave you were in taking on so many things on your own independently. You know, there were a lot of things that you did, you know, like I don't know that I'd let my kids go to Europe on their own. <laughs> that was amazing of your parents to do that and to be ready to, you know, sort of ready and willing to let you go off and and do all of the things on your own and experience them and learn them. My parents knew that I would need to go outside my comfort zone as an adult, so they didn't hesitate to allow me to go outside my uh, comfort zone and try new things. And it's a good thing that they did. And it's only natural that parents may not feel comfortable allowing their kids, whether they're autistic or not, to do certain things. But I think it's uh, I think it's good that parents at least let them try because life is full of surprises. Or as Forrest Gump would say, it's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. So, you know, try something new, get out there. And those experiences will really help to prepare for the uncertainty of the world in the future. You know, so many of those experiences just prepared you to leave home too. Your first time leaving home um, to live on your own must have been hard because that was, was that when you went to Belleville? Yeah, that's when I went to college. I was certainly very nervous, but I, I did have roommates. So I had people to talk to. That helped for sure. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, an average workday at the radio station. So um, I also want to talk a little bit about some of your favorite interviews that you've done, because I know you've interviewed some really interesting people, but what does an average workday look like for you? Well, for me, an average workday is just to come in and uh, check my voicemail and then uh, and then listen to the other morning newscasts, you know, to make sure that they're uh, they sound good. And then uh, and then I record the news for uh, CJAR in the PAW and our affiliate uh, CHTM in Thompson. Uh, the news people up there send me stories for them and I do stories for here. I record them, I uh, listen to them sometimes twice and I send them off. And usually the afternoon is spent looking for uh, news stories for the next day and sometimes voice tracking, uh, doing uh, talk breaks for uh, certain radio hours. Um, so sometimes I do interviews with people. I think the most interesting interview that I did here at uh, CJAR was with uh, Lenore Zen, who was uh, an MP for Cumberland, uh, Colchester in Nova Scotia at the time to talk about her environmental racism bill. I thought about that because there is a lot of environmental racism up here in Northern Manitoba. You know, indigenous people don't have, indigenous people don't have access to uh, clean drinking water. And uh, that's a serious issue. So thinking outside the box, I thought, let's uh, hear about what this uh, bill might uh, do to benefit Northern Manitobans. And at the same time, we talked about her career as an actress, uh, doing the uh -huh. voice of Rogue on uh, X-Men and my favorite childhood show, Rescue Heroes. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> yeah, she did the voice of Wendy Waters. So uh, that was a lot of fun. At the end of the interview, she says to me, over and out, rescue hero, who was oh, awesome. I love it. <laughs> That's great. But I did all kinds of other great interviews in the past. Like I did uh, an interview with Lenny McDonald at, uh, at uh, the station I worked at in Yellowknife, uh, Adam Groh, the host of Cash Cab. You're going to find in my book all the other people that I've interviewed. Uh, most of the celebrity interviews I did are in, uh, are in high school. And uh, I'm hoping to do more celebrity interviews later on, more uh, human interest stories. And in the meantime, if you uh, join the Littlest Hobo fan page 
on Facebook, you can listen to an interview that I did with uh, Cindy Hines, who was uh, who was on a couple of episodes of The Littlest Hobo. That was a really fun interview to do. Wow, that's great. Um, I love as well that you interviewed Tumble Grandin because she's a fascinating, fascinating person. And incredibly inspiring, too. I mean, everything that she went through in the 1950s, back when most people with autism were institutionalized, her mother refused to believe that she wouldn't speak and pushed her to be self-sufficient. I mean, that is just incredibly inspiring. And she was a great person to interview as well. Um, she uh, answered the questions really well. And uh, I, I, I was a bit nervous, I'll admit that, but uh, we really struck up a good conversation. And you can still listen to that interview today. If you go to YouTube, type in Blake Crash Priddle, it should uh, pop up. I love that you've taken the nickname Crash. Do you wanna share that story? Yeah, actually, in the book, you're going to read about this, too. I was in a, a car accident when I was 18. I wasn't badly hurt, although I was uh, whiplash. But uh, as a joke, uh, Mr. D you know, started uh, calling me Crash Prittle as a joke. Like, he was just being funny. Like, it didn't bother me one bit, and I loved it. It actually made me feel better about the situation. And when it came to going to college, this is before I learned that uh, radio DJs really don't have nicknames anymore. I decided to go by the name Crash Priddle on the campus station and uh, the name just sort of stuck. I, I usually go by the name Blake Priddle on the air now, but uh, sometimes people will uh, call me Crash. I love that he understood that sharing that with you would would sort of lighten up the situation because it sounded like it was a pretty stress stressful situation. Your parents were away. You were in an accident. That's 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 very stressful. Oh, it was. And you know what? So sometimes it's good to use humor to make people more comfortable about uh, certain things like that. And I still use humor in uncomfortable situations. As a matter of fact, during my after the accident happened, the Ford logo and the other guy's car left an imprint in the back. So my friend came to see me and I said, well, they left an imprint in the back. You know what? That's that's really too bad. Now people are going to think that this car is a Ford. <laughs> that, that's how I dealt with it. You know, I was very shaken up, but I just had to use humor at, at that point, and it it helped. That's great. I'm so glad. I bet your mother was not uh, was pretty nervous when she got all those voicemails, but <laughs> I'm she, glad she was. That those, yeah. But uh, but they knew that the car could be fixed, and they were just glad that I was okay. Well, that's the most important thing at the end of the day, isn't it? Any car can be fixed. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about what led you to write your book. Um, I mean, obviously your story is very inspirational. You are what I would say sounds like to me, you're living your dream. You know, you've, you've dreamt of being, or you've, you've thought of being a radio broadcaster for years. So, so what led you to write the book? Well, this one time I sat down with my mom at the dinner table or might have been in the living room or something like that. And uh, she said, you know, Blake, it might be really cool if you wrote a book one of these days. You could call it Good Morning Blake, you know, based on an incident from my early childhood. And, you know, I thought it was a great idea. And it wasn't until 2017 when I got my, when I got my second radio job that uh, I, I thought to myself, you know what, I, I should go ahead and do it. I've got a great story to tell, lots of material. Let's do this. Absolutely. That's, that's when it started. So um, why is the book called Good Morning, Blake? When I was uh, about 18 months, my mom came into my bedroom and uh, I was standing up in my crib, you know, just jumping up and down, really happy. She says to me, good morning, Blake. 
and being autistic and using echolalia, I said back to her, good morning, Blake. That's why we decided to call the name Good Morning Blake. And uh, it says in the book that those words changed uh, my mother's life and my dad's life, I think, forever. I'm sure hearing you speak. The start of an amazing journey. It absolutely was. And you've documented so much of that. Uh, There's so many good stories in it. And there's the other thing, as I said before, that I love is you really do share um, about all of the support you had and the people that were a part of your life who who just shared your journey with you. You had such an amazing village. And at the end of the book, there's a grid of all the people and you count them all up. That was a lot of people on that list. (laughs) There was, yes, for a small town of uh, 5,500 people. (laughs) It's absolutely, yeah. You had lots of close family and and, uh, family friends who supported you and would take you fishing and hiking. And your story, but the story about the muskie also made me laugh because my kids are always trying to catch the elusive muskie. And I like the story about when you caught the muskie and you carried it around with you all day. (laughs) Yeah. And we uh, put the, we slid it down the slide and into the inner inner tube. (laughs) That poor fish. Yeah. Well, because we we accidentally killed it when uh, taking the hook out. So uh, So, so you didn't have much of a, but I think my favorite, uh, fish story was when I caught that huge pike in uh, Great Slave Lake. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was 12 pounds. That was my first, uh, my biggest confirmed fish, but I think I caught bigger ones. 12 pounds. That's a big fish. Yeah, darn tootin'. <laughs> so, um, so what was the process for you like writing your book? How did you sort of get started? How did you get all of the people to participate? And, and what was it like writing? Well, I started writing, you know, the, the basics of, uh, of my life story, uh, just in my spare time. And then I reached out to, uh, all my friends that were a big part of my life. And I said, listen, this is what I want to do. Um, I'd like you to make some contributions to the book. Tell me what you remember. And I sent them all some questions that they could answer. And then, uh, yeah, and then we wrote them down and edited them appropriately so that we have uh, their side of what they remember about my life. Um, that's, that's a lot of journalists will do that. They'll submit questions to people to answer like as a Q and a, so, so that's how we got them. The, the challenge was, you know, sometimes it took people longer, you know, to get them in. And I suggested, you know, why don't we do a phone interview or something if uh, writing them is going to be too much. And, uh, that, that was the challenge getting them done in a hurry. And we came across a few, uh, bumps in the road, um, when it came to writing, you know, we took a break after my after my grandma passed away. And afterwards, I said, you know, we should keep writing because I think that's what grandma would want us to do. Because she made a contribution to the book before she passed away. And you can read it there. It's, uh, it's very nice. Um, how long did it take? Four years. Wow. I started in 2017. And uh, yeah, I did the finishing touches uh, in 2021 that's when I added the COVID-19 chapter living alone through COVID we decided to add that one in there and then uh, we had to look for a publisher which we found one that we could you know self-publish the book and uh, we uh, we did that did you ever think you'd be an author when you were growing up was that one of your goals I thought about writing books you know in my teen years but I thought um uh, 
it, it's too much work and uh, <laughs> I have enough work as it is. But I, as, as you get older, you realize that, you know, th- there's work everywhere you go. And uh, writing a book is actually a lot of fun. It's hard work, but it's fun. Well, and it's not a short book. It's, you know, no. it's, it's a, it's a long, it's a long book with lots of great stories and, and really de- it's really quite detailed about your journey and about how you and your family managed through your journey. And I think f- the other thing that I really appreciated about it and appreciate about it is that you often added tips about things you had learned that could potentially help other people in the community. I did. Yes. I think that's really helpful. There were quite a few that I read through that I thought were amazing that that really would be, um, uh, you know, the book would be of benefit to anyone to read because it's a great story. But for particularly for people in the autism community, your story is so inspiring. Um, the fact that you offer up so much really valuable information is just um, it's a real gift to be able to read it. So um, I think you uh, I think you really you really killed it with your book. It's great. It's a great read. So thank you. You're very welcome. What advice would you give other people like you who are looking for a job? I think that we've talked a lot in our world about um, employment and about finding the right job and about just securing something that you love to do. What What do you think your sort of secret sauce is for that? Was for that? Well, my secret sauce is to not give up. You know, if you're determined to get a job, it, keep sending out applications if you see them. It's like fishing. Sometimes you have to throw in your fishing line a hundred times before you catch a fish. And uh, that's the same thing with job applications. You have to submit hundreds and sometimes even thousands of applications before you get it. But but don't give up. There's 7 billion people in the world. And I guarantee you that at least one person is going to be interested in your work. When it comes to disclosing autism, I, I think it's a good idea me personally, it's a good idea to disclose it early and just say what accommodations that you need. You know, I, I don't require a lot of uh, accommodations myself, just to, just the quiet uh, time that I need to record the news. But uh, I, I think it's important because like with any other condition, like, you know, you would disclose that you're epileptic or you disclose that you have peanut allergies and need accommodations. So Workplaces definitely shouldn't uh, reject someone because of autism if they wouldn't do the same with someone that has peanut allergies or epilepsy. That's very true. Very true. Have you always been of the mind that you should disclose? Were you always that way with all of your jobs or was that a learned decision? It was a learned decision. Um, I didn't disclose my autism until... uh, much later in my uh, first job because I was concerned that I might not get it if I had autism. I, I know now that uh, you shouldn't be afraid to disclose things like that. People should not discriminate because of that. That's for sure. Um, no, definitely not. And so what about what about um, for parents who are maybe um, just finding out that their child is on the spectrum, um, just going through the process of a diagnosis? Do you have any advice um, tips, thoughts for for parents based on your experiences? Well, I can't speak for everyone, but I think the best thing to do is, is to not worry about what could go wrong. Worry about the things that, or, or not worry about, but think about the good things that could happen. Because you, you just can't you know, live life you know, focusing only on the bad. 
that's just going to make it all bad. Believe me, I know from experience, you know, inevitably there will be challenges, but, uh, but, but focus on what your child can do as opposed to what they can't do. Like if you have a child that can't tie their shoelaces, but are really good, you know, with computer skills, focus on that. Never, never mind the shoes, you know, that's, I think computer skills are way better than tying shoes. If you ask me, you can always get slip in shoes, can't you? <laughs> For sure. Yeah. But, the, but, but the thing is, uh, try not to worry too much about what could go wrong. Think about the things that will, you know, that, that could go right. Yeah. Focus on the positive. Exactly. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Um, and what about what about advice for people that might want to get into radio or that might want to write a book? What kind of advice do you have for people that might be interested in writing a book? Well, writing a book, you know, it, it sounds easy, but it's always good to, you know, talk to people that have experience writing or people that have written a book that, that that's been published. You know, we had a conversation with someone that's uh, that tried to write a book before, and she gave us some really good uh, advice. So, so, so definitely talk to someone that has written a book and try to get some uh, some pointers from them because they, they can really help. I feel like one of the strengths that you have is that you um, you're not afraid to talk to other people and ask questions and um, let other people help you. And I think that that is a that is a huge strength um, as you go through life, as anyone goes through life, is to have that that sort of um, always questioning, looking for help, allowing people to help you, that sort of spirit is, is, um, will certainly help someone be successful. And I, I see that when I read your book. And it's something that I had to learn too, because I, I learned that just because this was in my early adulthood, 18, 19 years old in college, I learned that just because you're an 18 year old, you know, legally an adult doesn't mean that you're too old to accept help. And I, I tried to refuse all the all the accommodations and you know try to do everything on my own, even though it was really hard. And you know, I, I should have at least looked at the accommodations that were being offered to see if they would help. But uh, I was young. I, I thought I was invincible and that I just didn't need those accommodations anymore. I was wrong. And uh, don't don't ever be ashamed to accept help or to accept accommodations if they're being offered. There's absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. And believe me, I've learned that the hard way. That's really excellent advice. I, um, I appreciated that when you were talking about the, um, the, was it an autism support group um, at college that you didn't join, that you had wished you had joined in retrospect? Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah I think that's I, uh, I, I wasn't too sure of myself at that point, and I was going through uh, I was going through a rough patch in my life, you know, with college and uh, a lot of fun things about college, but there's a lot of challenges, and and that that's for sure. It's a tough adjustment to go from um, high school, where you have a real comfort zone, to then leaving home and going to college by yourself in a totally new community where maybe you don't know anybody. That's right. I didn't know anybody except for. Um, I knew somebody that, you know, there was this lady that my mom used to work with that lived in the area at the time. So we sometimes did stuff together. But other than that, no, I didn't know anybody else. Like everyone in my class was a complete stranger. Right. That's hard. That's not easy. Um, 
So for me, the book was an incredible, inspiring story of a person who, like I said earlier, it, you know, sort of started with Echolalia and struggled with communication and is now a radio broadcaster. It's incredible. And I just um, really enjoyed it. And I think it's such a great book for anyone in the community to read, as I said earlier. Um, is there anything else you want to share today with it? Do you want to share a story from the book? Do you want to share anything else about the book? Where do I start? Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, <laughs> I know. there's a lot of great, uh, there's a lot of great stories, but uh, I, I will tell you one story. It's not really in full detail, but uh, I was hosting a country show and uh, a country radio show here at CJAR. And I was uh, back selling or introducing a song by Gord Bamford called My Daughter's Father, but on the computer, the father part was uh, cut off. So it looked like it said my daughter's fat. So I uh, so I went on the air and said, up next, we have more great country hits, starting with Gord Bamford, My Daughter's Fat on your radio, 1029 CJAR. Immediately after that, I double take. I'm like, what? That can't be right. So I Googled it and uh, sure oh enough, I, it was my daughter's father. So I, I took a picture of that and I sent it to my mom on Facebook and I wrote, oh my God, I made a funny blooper on the air. Little did I know that it's called my daughter's father. So that picture is in the book actually towards the end with uh, my mom giving a laughing emoji. Oh my gosh, that is so funny. That is so, and and such an easy mistake to make too, right? I mean, yeah, that's great. Well, I have to say, I loved the book. Um, I think it's, I think it's great. Um, where can people get the book, and where can people learn more about you if they want to connect with you or follow you on social media? Well, the book is available to purchase online on uh, Amazon or Amazon Kindle. You can buy it through. Uh, uh, Indigo, or if you happen to be listening in the United States, uh, you can uh, get it through Barnes and Noble as well uh, online. And uh, if you want to learn more about me and find some samples of my work, uh, you can go to my website, which is blakecrashcriddle.com. There you'll find some more information about the book and some samples of my on-air work. Great. And we'll share all that information on our um, on the podcast website and also on our social media, where we're going to be sharing more information about Blake and about his book and and uh, I guess at this point, at this point, that's about all I have. Do you have anything else you want to talk about before we? Nope. Just thank you very much for having me and uh, stay safe. Well, I really appreciate you um, being here today. I don't want to talk too much about the book because I want people to go out and buy it and read it because it's fantastic. Um, thank you so much for your time. And let's connect again at some point because I want to continue to hear your story. For sure. Thank you very much. No, I definitely think that everyone should read the book. It's 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 a fascinating story. It's very inspiring. And um, not only that, but there's lots of great tips and advice in there for people who are who are on a on a similar journey. So uh, so well done. And thank you for writing it. Also, a quick shout out to Chris Marsh, who called me and suggested that we talk. So thanks, Chris, for for introducing Blake and I. I'm really, really glad we were able to have this conversation. Yeah. Right, well, well, thank you very much. And uh, you, you have a nice day. Thank you, Blake. It was great to, great to speak to you and great to meet you. Thank you for joining us today. Stay tuned for more episodes of Sharing the Spectrum and Autism Canada podcast. The beautiful music you heard is from Bruce Pethrick. 
Bruce is a neurodiverse musician and friend of Autism Canada. You can check out more of his music on his website at brucepetrick.com. Our executive producer is Barbara Patton. Julie Perkis is our producer. Additional thanks to the Autism Canada team, including Tafari Anthony, Shannon Selinski, Dominique Payment, Mariana Curick, and Earl Selinski. For more information about Autism Canada, don't forget to visit us at autismcanada.org. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube.